All right, here with Casey Hill, um, a great follow on LinkedIn, if you haven't followed him already. Um, so Casey, welcome to Simple But Hard. It's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So, uh, right, like I was telling you before, Simple But Hard, I used to think that there was some secret shortcut to success. As I get older, I realize it's just about going the long way once and doing the the simple but hard fundamentals really well. And when I think of you and and some of the a lot of the stuff that you talk about on LinkedIn, right? It's very much focused on growth. How do you actually grow the business and how do you reduce churn because that's also essential to growth. So, if you don't mind sharing, if you had to break down the fundamentals of what does it actually take to grow a business, where would you start with that? Yeah, for sure. So I think definitely starting with growth makes sense. And then churn, you know, you kind of need to get customers in first and then you worry about churn secondarily. So I think when it comes to growth, there's two really important pillars, especially for early stage folks. One of those is amplification. One of those is distribution. So when I say when I say amplification, a lot of the way that a lot of people start is they say, hey, I need to go build my YouTube channel. I need to go build out my website, my blog, all these different pieces, and it's very focused on them. So what happens is they grow in their own small bubble and they don't have a lot of exposure. That might become a powerful asset to build growth a year, two years down the line, but it's very unlikely to be a short-term lever. So what's really important is to find channels that give you amplification. So a good example is guesting on podcasts. <laughs> um, our company has driven over 1 million in directly like attributable revenue from podcast guesting. And the reason is if you find the right audience, you hop on a podcast and instead of just your network, you now are exposed to this much larger network. The same thing is true if you do a content collaboration, the same thing is true if you do a webinar collaboration, and the same thing is even true on social channels, right? That they have natural amplification because there's a lot of people present. So one of the first thing that's really important, I think, is when you're thinking about how you're going to drive demand for your company, be thinking about what are the sources of amplification outside of just your bubble, right? Connected to this piece is distribution. So a lot of people build content strategies, a lot of startups that I work with, they say, here's my content strategy. We're posting this piece on this date. We're doing this webinar. We're doing this, 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 this. And again, kind of similar to the amplification, it's all internal. So I say, who else is distributing this? And there's often kind of blank stares. Well, what do you mean? Well, who, who else is distributing it? What partners are sharing it? What other people are including you in their newsletter blog? Like, how are you amplifying that message? And one of the reasons that concept is almost kind of foreign to people is because a lot of people produce very kind of like self-promotional content or, or company promotional content rather, right? So the idea of like, well, why would a partner want to distribute this is foreign, but that's an important check that the type of content that's going to give you wide exposure should be content that people want to share. It should have novel insights. It should be inherently interesting enough that people outside of your just direct bubble want to go out and say, I want to learn more about that, right? And that's how you get earned media. That's how you get PR. That's how you get podcasts. You know, like one of the topics that I recently was speaking about on a lot of podcasts is I started by saying most website reviews suck. You go to a website, you see a little one, one line thing that says, this increased my something by 60% from some random you know, name that you don't even know if it's a real person. And what you can do to make that more meaningful, I started to kind of articulate, you can make it more specific. 
You can make it more long form so you can establish context. You can use things like video. So they see there's an actual human being behind. So that dovetails to a product, right? Bonjoro, where I work, has a testimonial product, but I don't talk about Bonjoro at all, right? The pitch to, uh, to a podcast host, the pitch to a PR outlet like Forbes or Fast Company is reviews are broken in the industry today, right? That's the type of thing that can get distribution. And when people read it and they're like, oh, okay, I need specific reviews. I need video reviews. How am I going to go get it? Boom. You're connected to that. But it's not like the people who reach out and it's like, hey, come feature my product. Nobody wants to feature your product. Nobody wants to have someone go on and just shill. That's just not what any PR outlet journalist, they want a story. They want a narrative and observation in the market. So that was a little bit long-winded, but that establishes a little bit of how I think about the fundamentals of amplification and distribution for early stage companies. So good. Okay. So I got two follow-up questions. I'll ask one at a time. Yeah. Um, how do you think it's different or do you think it's different for like a B2B SaaS company like Bonjoro versus say like, like a services business, like a home remodeling or um, like a construction company, like, do you still see those two levers of amplification and distribution as the same? Or do you see those, like, if you were to grow like a more services company, would you, would you try to go after different pillars? I think conceptually, yes, specifically, it's going to be very different. So specifically, like, you know, if you're running a windows business, I'm not going to tell you to go spend all your time on LinkedIn and go, you know, use that as your, it's just not the right source. Right. But I still think you're going to want to find the points of trust that exist, right? So for some markets, it might be influencers. It might be people of import. It might be that there is a really popular blog on home remodeling that everyone tunes into, and you want to figure out how to get yourself connected to that. So even though you're a service business, actually a real example, by the way, someone who is in the home remodeling space, they got a bunch of attention in that world and it kept opening new doors as they did more and more podcasts, even podcasts that weren't purely localized because they were just a localized service, right? But as they got more exposure, that then opened up other partnerships and other local opportunities, hey, as featured on blank, right? So all this stuff can kind of dovetail into creating that engine. So I think that the specific channels are always going to be different. Um, I run like an e-commerce business on the side and the channels that are going to work there different, but a hundred percent, like finding a really prominent person in the board game space. That's, that was one of the first products I launched on a Kickstarter in 2018. That was huge for the success of my product because that person had a massive following. And so they, I was able to dovetail into that following by building, building that relationship. So I still think that amplification and distribution mm. for the majority of industries still makes a lot of sense. Just the specific ways that you approach getting amplification distribution might be different depending on your industry. And depending on the customer that you're selling to. And depending on the customer you're selling to. And I want to clarify too, like there's some businesses that are like super, super niche, right? So it might make sense for that specific FinTech company that only serves, you know, banks that they're not going to, you know, spend a lot of their time driving that top end demand gen. But in those cases, it's often almost like a different model of business. They usually are, are follow what we call like ABM, right? Account-based marketing. So they basically are, here's our 50 banks and they're going to reach out and kind of have like a more sales led motion to bring those people in. And that can make sense for companies that have that kind of tight knit, but any company that's trying to generate demand, right? 
if you if you're a company and you're trying to generate eyes, you're trying to generate demand. I think having people get out of this bubble of we're just going to be producing all the stuff in our silos and starting to think about who else, what other points of authority. Because again, it's also, it's how people buy. It's how people consume information, a referral from a friend, an influencer they trust, a community that they're part of. Those are always going to be more compelling, right? Than you just kind of like hitting in the face, like go do this thing. So I think that still holds. That's awesome. Okay, so as I'm listening to you, uh, there's so many things about demand gen and category design that I hear you talking about. Um, how familiar are you with those? And is that a core part of your growth strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, category design is an interesting one. I don't think that you inherently have to be involved in category design to be successful with amplification or, dis or, or distribution. I think it can definitely help if you have a very powerful message and you kind of carve out how the industry is going to move in a novel way. I think that that can be a variable, but I don't think it's, I don't think that's a requirement to be successful around amplification distribution. And then what was the first one besides category design you mentioned? Demand gen. Demand gen. Yeah. So I, I think that like demand gen, I think that demand gen, the biggest thing I think for people to take away on demand gen is just like demand gen is changing fundamentally. The things that worked before, right? Five years ago, and I, I'm talking with CMOs and CEOs all the time for organizations that are like, we used to just be able to invest in SEO or SEM or these like conventional content-based channels. Well, look, now AI, people are going to churn out a thousand X the amount of content volume, right? Like it's going to be a completely different landscape. So things that were working before fundamentally have to change. But I think that actually makes the points we've discussed earlier, even that much more important that having people, partners that people trust talking about you in a positive light, having podcasts or webinars or things that people tune in and listen to that again they trust those hosts you're connecting with that trust in some sort of meaningful way so i think it's an important part of that demand gen movement interesting and so you see the demand gen movement going somewhat away from seo sem and more towards podcasts videos is, is that right i think that's right i also think that like i mean without going down you know with our limited time i, I think that how Google weighs certain things in terms of how they prioritize you will fundamentally change. So some of it will be like conventionally producing blogs like we produce now, which is like 10 best ways to optimize your pricing page. Those are going to get so flooded with literally hundreds of thousands of, of pieces that are produced by AI that those are going to lose a lot of the value. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see that other factors like a link in from a podcast page or like, you know, whatever, there's going to be a whole bunch. Those will suddenly start getting prioritized in a different way. So it's, it's a much larger topic, but the short news is things that are working several years ago are very likely not going to give you the same impact in 2023. So it's important to be looking at that when you're trying to de design growth strategy, especially for a startup or a newer business. Man, that's good. That's really good. Okay. Now a few minutes left. Let's talk churn. Okay. Give yeah. us Give us the simple but hard fundamentals. Why, do, why, what happens if we have high churn and how do we work to prevent it? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be really concise here because I could talk for hours on churn. So like, you know, we can include a chart afterwards that shows people the impact of, you know, if you have a 5% churn, you're losing six month over month, you're losing 60% of your customers on an annual basis. I mean, the optics of it are pretty crazy, but here's the one specific takeaway that I'll leave people with. One of the best things you can do with churn is not treat churn just as one monolith number, 
right? You actually want to break it down into different phases. So I'm going to give you guys those phases and just a brief definition of kind of how I think about those. So the first thing is what I call activation churn. This is the first like zero to 30 days. It's actually not in many cases focused on like the result the person's even getting yet. It's how they feel kind of getting set up. How are you making them feel in those first couple interactions? Do things feel smooth? Do things feel personalized? Do they feel like they're valued as more than just kind of a number in the cog, right? That first period is very much built on this esoteric feel. During that phase, the things you want to do is have that personal touch point. Really try to establish to that individual that they're valued and try to make things as seamless and as simple as possible. Not convoluted, not a lot of moving gears, not a lot of things they have to go through 10 forms. Keep that simple. The next phase is impact phase. So now you really need to drive home core results. You started by getting them in, getting them set up, getting them kind of ready to go. Now you have to deliver as a company. So that period from 30 days to say 180 days is really for, and these time ranges are obviously not perfect, but the idea there is really to drive results and drive impact. And as an organization, you need to make sure that you're on the same page of knowing what that customer's goals are and syncing up with them in a meaningful way and being able to get them that early win. You know, again, won't go off on a tangent on this, but this idea of time to value that we talk about a lot in the software world, how long does it take for someone to get to value with you, right? If that's too long, you're going to lose a lot of people. They're going to churn. So you want to try to tamp that down. The last phase, 180 days plus is what I call the loyalty phase. They got in, you gave them a good first impression. They got some initial results. Awesome. But now if you want them to stay with you long-term, what are the alternatives, right? Are you really investing in your customers in a meaningful enough way that there's enough novel content, there's enough new things that are keeping them interested and they don't go, oh, wait, I'm just going to go to this competitor. Oh, wait, I'm just going to jump ship because your prices went up. Oh, wait, insert challenge. And the reason I think it's so important to break down churn into these three pieces is if you just treat churn as, okay, well, if someone doesn't seem like they're as active, uh, I'm just going to hop in and I'm going to try to call them. You're going to miss a lot of people that aren't, they're not having the challenge that you're trying to deal with, right? And when I do consulting and I work with a lot of pre-seed or series A, series B startups, I often find that there's, that's this big issue. They don't really know how to think about churn. They go look up how to tackle it. They know some of the basics, but they're missing the fundamentals of separating churn into the different types of churn that you approach. So that would be the, the one quick thing I would have people walk away and think about. Man, that is so good. That is so good. Thank you, Casey, for breaking that down. I can tell that you have spent a lot of time uh, diving into this because in order to, to give that as concisely as you did, I know that you had to spend a lot of time diving in. So thank you for sharing my friend. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm going to 